Welcome to the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer in residence. My guest tonight, since I left the game in 2002, he's the only blind baseball broadcaster in the business. He broadcasts the games in Spanish for the Tampa Bay Rays, although he goes back to when they were the Devil Rays. And his name is Enrique Olu. Enrique, welcome. Thank you for having me on, Don. It's a pleasure to be on with you. And uh, it's been a long time coming, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you. Glad to glad to do it. Thank you for joining me. We go back. There was a time when I was with Charleston, the Devil Rays Farm Club, and I needed help with the Spanish questions I had to ask a lot of our Latin American ballplayers who didn't have a word of English. And Enrique, you were very kind to be a consultant and help me learn some of the things I needed to ask the boys. Well, thank you, Don, because it was, uh, I had reciprocity to this also because every time somebody got called up, and boy, that we called a bunch of people at that point, uh, it was nice to know who to talk to and who you know, who would really help us and not in the, uh, on the team. So it was always, I think, a very good uh, situation where I could teach you that. But on the other hand, you had uh, seen those guys uh, play in the minor leagues. So we would call up and so forth. Correct. Now, I'm going to go back. So I'm, I'm going to go back to the beginning. You were born in Nicaragua and... I, where I was one of the lucky ones. I was able to be educated in my own town. You had to not only leave town, you had to leave the country. You needed to go to Costa Rica to get an education. And do you have any memories of those early years in school in Costa Rica? Yes, uh, it was nice. It was a small school, very, very primitive in a sense. And, uh, but, you know, they had the elementary things such as uh, Braille and reading and writing and arithmetic, and you made some friends. And I just remember it was really hard. Leaving at five, six years old, it was always very hard because you're leaving home and there wasn't any fault of anyone. They needed to do that. But I remember that I didn't really want to go, that I was homesick after three weeks or a month. Dave, uh, I got to go home for what we call Holy Week because uh, during the Easter break in uh, Latin countries, the whole week is out. I mean, there isn't anything going on at that point. So I went home after about a month. And I remember I didn't, I didn't feel it when I first got there because I made new friends and all that. But when I got home, it was really tough to go back to the school. And, it, you know, I remember that. And then, you know, we made some friends. Fortunately for me, there were people who cared about me, whether well, some Nicaraguans that lived in Costa Rica, one of mom's best friends, Coco Eggert, uh, also came to pick me up. Another lady, Chepa Carrion, picked me up. And then the house parents would take me home if I wasn't lucky enough to go home when the school was closed. So that was the thing. that, And then there was another teacher that kind of took me under her wing that would look after me. So in a lot of ways. And then I got lucky that I was on television a couple of times. I mean, I didn't know. It was just... That we were got to be, uh, got not the here's I'm she should speak better. Um, that we were doing, uh, that and I just seen it back where I had a picture of me giving a flower bouquet to the president's wife of Costa Rica way back when, 
or we were going to some kind of television show where some guy was working with clay. I was working with Lego things and, and we went. So there were many things that we, that we did. And that was my first really appearance on television. I mean, you didn't think about it then. So, but it was, and then you see that somebody taking a picture and you seen that picture way back when that here you're given part of a group that's given a bouquet of flowers to the Costa Rican president. So, in that sense, it was really nice. I mean, the, sure, you, know, you miss your family and so forth, but I can only say that I've had a good, I had a good experience there. But that's a wonderful memory to have from the 1960s is the time frame that we're talking about. Now, the next step for you was from Costa Rica to Florida, to a very well-known and very well-regarded School for the Blind in St. Augustine, Florida. Before I get to your actual education there, this is right about when Samosa was a big name in in Nicaragua. And I'm wondering if many of your family members left the country to get away from the horrors of the Samosa regime to come to America. Not at that point. Uh, We were okay. We weren't lined up with the party with Somoza, but we were okay. Somoza kind of, if you didn't bother him, he wasn't going to bother you. So you just have to, you know, give him a slice of whatever you were doing sometimes. But, and if you like sports, uh, you know, so forth, he was a big uh, advocate of sports, as, as Mr. Ortega is as well. But so we didn't have to leave at that point. We were okay. It just took a lot of money for them to send me to the school in St. Augustine. But, at that point, we were okay. I mean, I knew some friends that had not run the same fate that had, did have to leave the country, but they were very much, you know, into the revolution and so forth. And how did your education move along in St. Augustine? How long did you stay there, and where did you go from St. Augustine? Well, yes, I went there for eight years of my life. I came in in fifth grade. I didn't know any English. Unfortunately, there were a couple people, Carlos Holstein, Peggy Baggett, and the late Eric Schwartz, and the late Carlos Holstein. Carlos Holstein was a Mexican gentleman who knew Spanish and English, and he translated for me the first year where uh, I learned. And then uh, Mr. Cardinelli, our English teacher, put me on a language master and started me reading on second grade level. And that was an interesting thing because, I mean, they were patient with me because I don't know if I would have made it because I didn't know in English. I came there and... I just remember the tweeted pools and very nice campus, 80 acres on the water. You stayed there and was able to forge some friends. And I love sports and my gym teachers, they love sports. So, and my mobility teachers love sports. So that was nice. And then all the, my siblings, and my siblings not, but my fellow students loved the sports. So we enjoyed it. I mean, I had eight years of my life there where I guess my, uh, I was a wrestler. Not a very good one, but I was one, and I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, we would uh, do all kinds of things, go walk around the town, go do this and do that. And, and for us at that point, you stayed on campus every day. You didn't go home on the weekend. So we were able to forge some bonds and so forth. And then I went on to Florida College, a small Christian school for junior college, and then I went on to USF. And in Florida College is where I got my big break with Orestes Estrade, being our first baseman, the later one worked for the Rays. And, you know, played Major League Baseball for the Marlins in, in Japan for the Cebu Lions. And a couple other friends, Lorenzo Fernandez and Coach Dave Scott, who later found fame with the University of Miami as the recruiting coordinator for football and an assistant baseball coach. 
and he had gone to Nicaragua. So that's how I got the really started opening the door. And uh, then I went to USF and I graduated from USF. And uh, I guess the rest of it is history, as you would say. Uh, started banging doors, be, uh, did uh, some Spanish radio as a volunteer. And I didn't care. I loved that. I mean, tell you the truth, it's probably most of the, some of the most fun I ever had because I couldn't believe it. Somebody let me go cover it. Things that I could even dream about <clears throat> and meeting some of the guys around the games, like, you know, Ferdy Pacheco for boxing, uh, Marty Brenneman for baseball or, you know, different guys. So I just thought this was great. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the Orestes got the job with the Rays and opened the door for me. This is the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here. And my guest is Enrique Olu, who's been broadcasting for the Tampa Bay Rays from the very beginning when they were the Devil Rays back in 98. Enrique, where did you broadcast minor league baseball before you joined the Rays? I didn't really do any minor league baseball. I was a stringer in Nicaragua for doing reports and stuff, and I was hanging around being a guest. I was a guest, but I only did, um, and it was a Ripley stunt with the Jacksonville Expos, where they were doing, Ripley's had uh, bought, or a Canadian company had bought the Ripley's Museums back in 89, and they thought it would be cute for them to put me in the Ripley's, believe it or not, so they set up a little stunt with Mark Hauser of the Jacksonville Expos at that time, which is, you know, it's double A. And so I, I did one inning, half an inning of play-by-play, play, and then he liked me so much, and he was having fun. I don't know if he liked me, but he was having a lot of fun. And uh, so he let me stay for three innings, you know, to be the color analyst, his, his sidekick for three innings. And that was great because in that game, you had Reggie Sanders for the Reds, the line of the Shields for the Expos. And a friend of mine was actually a shortstop at that point who had gotten drafted by the Reds, Greg Lonegro. So that was an interesting thing. So tell me about the beginnings of the days with the Devil Rays. Now, your present partner is a gentleman by the name of Tavares, but before he joined the Rays, so who who broadcast with you early on? The first year was Jose, the late Jose Rodriguez. Uh, he was an interesting fellow, a musician, really, that loved sports. He had done the Buccaneers football in the 80s so and we were working at the same station so they just picked the talent and then the rights went somewhere else and a guy named Melitas Nunez gave me a chance to work with him for a year a year and a, a year and then Ricardo came in in 2000 when they were changing staff at the at the station that we were at and uh I auditioned Josh Mednick uh, you know after well if they like you let's go with it and thanks to, I mean, I never got to meet Mike Beck, but I'm sure he had something to do with it, that I finally got on as the full-time broadcaster in 99. Tavares now, he and you have become quite close broadcasting partners over close to 20 years. Yes, indeed. It's a wonderful thing. He, it's funny, when you work with somebody long enough, you kind of know where they're going without having to think about where they're going. And Ricky has that quick, I try to keep, I play the straight guy to Ricky's, you know, bright, you know, the, the, the Ricky can come up with something in a heartbeat. I mean, he is the funny guy, kind of the Harry Carey type of guy where he sees something and he'll name it or he'll call it or he, 
his little quick wit, it's amazing. So we kind of know where he wants to go. And he knows where I want to go, too. So, yeah, it's uh, we've been doing this for almost 20 years. One thing you two have had to do, which Jim and I also had to do, is move from one different radio station to another over the time that you've been with the Rays. That was stressful at our level. I'm sure it was stressful for you. In the beginning, it was. But then you figure that you can't control it. Sometimes, for us, we were in two spots. Like this year, we were in two spots. We were at one spot on the weekend, on the weekdays, and one spot on the weekend. So you have to remember when you're doing a live read, you know, oh, which yeah. station you're going to be on and what day. And sometimes we had, uh, oh, not only that, because last year, uh, you know, we had the the out cues for the commercial break. Let's say I'm doing a pregame interview, and uh, and the cue and the break for the uh, the the cue out for the commercial break is, you know, you're listening to the Rays on what have you. And one, a couple of times I did, I threw out the wrong uh, <laughs> station out for the, for the call. <laughs> and believe for me, the, I did that with the river dogs because for the time we were there, one of, one of the, one of the years we were there, sometimes they'd put us on AM 1450 and sometimes they'd put me on AM 1340. And I would definitely call one by the wrong name. No question about it. So that was funny. I mean, so everybody's laughing because I'm calling, you know, you're listening to the race on what have you. <laughs> and my partner was just laughing his head off. That I can imagine. So, so Jim would have done. Articles that have been written about you mention that you stay in the studio when the team travels on the road. But I think, if I remember right, you've gone to a couple of uh, major league cities. And if so, uh, if I'm right, first of all, um, where were they? Where did you get to go? No, we went to Venezuela and Mexico for spring training. I mean, I've gone... I've gone to baseball stadiums as a fan. I've been to a bunch of them, but as a broadcaster, I went to Venezuela and Mexico for spring training. That had to be great fun. Oh, it was amazing. It was just really amazing because you think about it, not too many disabled uh, or you know impaired people are pushing forward in those countries. So here we go with a blind broadcaster to go into uh, to Venezuela or Mexico. And to really push forward and to go back to those countries, it's it's amazing. That was amazing. And then you get to go with the other team and you get to meet the other players because you stay at the same hotel. It's pretty much a junket. And uh, you get to meet people like big shots in the MLB and, you know, the, the other guys. And then you get to meet the local broadcasters. And that had to be just wonderful. Now, one thing I know I asked you about at the time, um, in either 2014 or 2015, the Rays went to Cuba. No, we didn't get to go. So, But I would have loved to have gone. But we didn't uh, get to go to Cuba. But, you know, it was a, a tough trip for some folks. But, uh, you know, no, I didn't get to go. But I uh, would have loved to have certain goals because I think it would inspire some people. Besides baseball, which is your major sport, I know I know you've done some other sports. Would you talk to me about that? Well, I did the Buccaneers for a couple of years. Uh, the Super Bowl year, I did them. 
and did them the, the day, I did them the year after that, but then the Spanish rights weren't granted for a long time until a few years ago again. But uh, so I did the Bucks for a couple of years, and I did arena football for a couple of years. <clears throat> so that was uh, interesting. So I did those uh, for a couple of years as well, and I've covered other sports. I mean, I've covered boxing, the Beast Mugabe during his heyday, or. I covered the, the last boxing match I covered was with William uh, Cesar Green against, uh, I mean, William Shafi against Julio Cesar Green, which was a championship out here in Tampa. So, I mean, I've covered sports just the ones that I have worked in our football, you know, the, the Buccaneers, the Storm, when it was the AFL, you know, American football, the Arena Football League was on and, uh, you know, in the race. And I did, the, you know, the the senior league back in 1990. Now, I only did football one season at the high school level. And I found football to be quite a bit more difficult to do than baseball. What was your experience with football? It was hard because, well, at the high school level, I have a, a kid that's following my footsteps that's doing high school football right now in Florida, Trent uh, uh, Ferguson. They went to my school, but uh, I found it to be different. It was just harder because you couldn't tell stories. But if you prepared well enough, fortunately for me, it's with the quote, quote unquote the big league level. So you could talk to coaches and some people could walk you through stuff. Uh, and if your play-by-play guy was good, it was good. So fortunately for me, I had like Eugene Robinson from the Panthers would walk me through stuff or Jack Snow when he was alive when he was doing the Rams or Boomer Esiason or Troy Aikman or somebody, you had actually a chance to talk to them and they would walk you through stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot harder because it's more control. The media access is more control only certain days. You just can't walk to somebody. And well, I want you right now. You have to set that up with the PR person. And I had a real job, so I couldn't just go when the dates that were open. There was an item in one of the newspapers about the year 2020 and the changes that that brought to the way that you cover the game. Now, the entire time I was in the game, we did everything we could to get the best crowd microphone available and find the best way to hang the crowd microphone so it would bring us the most effect so I could hear the crowd. And I understand you have had... You have found, like I did, the importance of the crowd sound, but then 2020 was a major challenge for you. What's it ever? Because it was just a continuous pull. It was, you know, you, you how you do fake noise. So all the stadiums had a continuous pull of, uh, you know, fans, because there weren't any fans. So <laughs> it was really tough because, you know, this pool might be at the home run, might not be. And fortunately, you've made up some different ways so you could hear the dugouts and you could hear certain people talk on the radio, you know, the, from downstairs. Because it was, it was, there was no one there, but it was hard because you're used to hearing the expectation of the crowd and it wasn't there because it was just, you know, a monotonous, continuous pool of fans. And you don't have the building roar of a crowd if they think a home run might happen and then the, 
the sigh of disappointment if somebody makes a catch right up against the fence? No, there's nothing like that. It, it might show up if they were lucky enough to roll it in, but by and large, no. But then 2021 became somewhat more normal. And would you say last year, 2022, was all the way back to how it was in oh, 2019? Yes it, yes, it was. And that was such a blessing because you could go talk to somebody, you could hear the crowd and so forth. That was very much normal. 2021 in the beginning was still tough. As it got on the year, it was a lot tough. It was a lot normal, you know, more normal. This is the Baseball Lifer podcast. This is Don Wardlow with the Spanish language voice of the Tampa Bay Rays, Enrique Olu. And I almost never do this, but I'm going to take a minute and break off from baseball because you have another job that you you wouldn't think, you know, I'm a blind person and I certainly never thought in all my life um, that I might get a job in the public defender's office, but you've got one. Well, fortunately, Miss Holt's been really nice to me, and I got one, and she's kept me for 30 years. And, well, she's very uh, supportive. If I really need technology, they'll find a way to get it. A new JAWS or a, a open book scanner, whatever. They find a way to get it. And what does the job that you have entail? What do you do? I'm the, the I'm the translator, so that means I'm looking at police interviews. I'm looking at uh, talking to people that can't speak English, and hoping helping the attorney. Uh, and then you write reports on what did they say or what wasn't said. In the baseball world, there's been one or two, not many, cases where. I felt disrespected because I was blind. I'm wondering if in the in the public defender's office, if some of the people on the wrong end, somebody who's accused with something, will they disrespect you because you're blind? Actually not. I haven't found that. I found the other. That they don't even know until somebody walks me out of the room or takes me somewhere. Sometimes they don't even know. But yeah, you probably get one, but I never hear it. Most of it is the other way, that they all of a sudden get like they get encouraged because they don't know in the beginning. As we're beginning the new season of 2023, describe spring training for you. Do you go to where the Rays do their spring training? And what does yeah. your spring training comprise? Since I have our Another job, I usually try to go on the weekend, stay over, go to catch a couple in the team's home, let's say Saturday and Sunday, or I'll go the first weekend before spring training games begin. Walk around the practice sites, go talk to people, and and then go talk to people during the game and stuff. Go up and then, you know, and then you start talking to coaches or people that you know around the game about spring training. And then uh I pick up a couple books, the Baseball Perspectives, and Deb reads that for me. I picked up the I pick up the the little rotisserie league books, you know, little magazines, because it gives you a quick synopsis of what they're looking for. And I picked up the perspectives, you know, the 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 prospect book, which talks about the top thirty rookies on their, you know, top thirty guys on every team. 
because when we did spring training back in the 90s, the, the running players in and out, in and out, caused me a certain amount of confusion. Fortunately, so, yeah, I know that it does cause a lot of uh, – well, I did a couple of spring training games, and that's why I don't really care if I do one anymore because it does. Because all of a sudden, you, know, you keep – no, this guy's batting here. No, it doesn't. And you have a guy with a 90. They just called up from the other fields, and it is confusing. <laughs> do you keep a scorecard in Braille during the game as I did? No, Ricky keeps it, and Deb uh, writes down, and with the computer – she just uh, squibbles the the notes on the on the iPad, or even she has a scorecard. Last question for our guest Enrique Olu, the Spanish language voice of the Tampa Bay Rays. What would you say to a kid who is blind and who doesn't really have an idea, you know, what is out there for a blind person? figure out what you want to do and really push hard to get it with all the technology that's available nowadays, which wasn't available back then. Now you have open book scanners, you know, they read to you, you have phones that read to you, you have uh, jaws, you have uh, laptops you can use, Apple, all, I mean, all kinds of equipment now that can help you. Even what's the program? I don't know if you ever used it that, you can dial up this thing, and a guy helps you get around the a place. They say you you don't know it. Yes, uh, it's called A I R A. I don't know what the letters mean, and I've never used the Ira. Program. Yeah, Ira. Okay, yeah. I have certainly heard of it. And no, but they have all this uh, technology now that is helpful to you. And you know, now if you find something to do. You should be able to, I mean, you still are pushing against stereotypes, but boy, it's a lot easier now. You can show somebody a lot easier. I mean, I have visually impaired people that are engineers, you know, regular engineers. I have others that have travel agents that, and others that have, you know, done other things. So the F to me, to tell a blind person, just find something you want to do and fight for it because there is uh, a lot more help now. And there's, you know, some barriers are being pushed down where, where people are more receptive. They, they see more and they, they've been somewhat educated to that no one's that much different anymore. To, you know, with some minor help, you know, after, oh, let's say Eric Dunmire, what, what's, I think that's his name, that climbed up Mount Everest. I'm sure he needed help. And I know he did, but, but yes, the fact that he climbed it, it was a big deal. No doubt about it. And you and I are... Men of an age, we grew up in the 1960s, myself in New Jersey and you in Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and then Florida. It was a much different world, so much less of the technology that blind boys like us could use. And the, <laughs> the advantages are beyond, beyond numbering. I'll just tell you two things. I thought it was heaven when you got a correct. We got a bunch of corrections electrics at the blind school that you could just put the white out and push the space bar back. And even in college, where somebody had to read stuff to you after you know after you have this stuff, nobody you know you don't have to have anybody reading to you, you know reading stuff to you, reading stuff back to you. And so you know, so coming from there to here, it's amazing. Absolutely, and you've been listening to the. 
Baseball Lifer podcast with Enrique Olu, the Spanish language voice of the Tampa Bay Rays. And Enrique, I want to thank you for spending some time with me tonight. Anytime, Don. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. And now I have your phone number, so I'll be more in touch with you, my friend. Have a great day. I'd like to invite you to send me a topic that I can talk about on the Baseball Lifer podcast. If there's a team or a, a baseball season that you want me to talk about, then let me know. Send me an email to don at thebaseballlifer.com. That's don, D-O-N, at thebaseballlifer.com. See you next Friday. <laughs>